This is Startup Renegades, a raw conversation with founders, entrepreneurs, and the unicorns among us who have taken their idea and turned it into a thriving, profitable brand. I'm your host, Shauna Armitage, and my work as a fractional marketing director has led me to connect with dozens and dozens of founders in all stages of their startup journeys. Whether they're bootstrapping or fundraising or have capital on hand, there's one big question founders always ask, how do I grow this thing? On Startup Renegades, we'll explore how they did it, and you'll walk away with actionable steps you can take on your own journey to scalable growth. Hey, Renegades. Welcome back to the show. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Joe Keeley, who is the CEO and co-founder of Justify Technologies, a venture-backed fintech business providing payments and fintech infrastructure and strategy for vertical SaaS platforms. Now, let me tell you, this is not where Joe started. Living in North Dakota, he had a love for hockey, and it is that love for hockey that led him to be an entrepreneur. It may sound like a strange path, but once you listen to the episode, you'll see exactly how it all happened, and it makes perfect sense in his journey. He's a dynamic yet thoughtful entrepreneur and a very conscious leader, and you'll hear that as he talks about his businesses how he grew them, and his decision-making process as he transitioned from one venture to another. Today, he's building Justify, which exists to accelerate the potential of vertical SaaS platforms by bringing optimized embedded payments and beyond payments fintech solutions to bear resulting in increased value for the platform of three to five times with remarkably lower cost of ownership. This is something that all small businesses can take advantage of, and it's definitely something that you should check out. But for now, let's listen in on the journey that Joe Keeley went through to go from hockey player to entrepreneur to CEO and co-founder of a fintech. Hey, Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Great to be here again. We tried to record this a few weeks ago and my software was all wonky. So I'm really excited to have you back to have a chat with me. Let's start at the very beginning. What did you want to be when you grew up? What did I want to be when I grew up? Well, I grew up in a very cold part of northern North Dakota. So I think like anyone else, it was probably, you know, to be a professional hockey player or something like that. (laughs) All right. So professional hockey player, how did you get from there to your career path? What did you decide to do for college? I did play hockey in college, but was sort of interesting as I answered a hockey-esque ad in the classified one spring day when I was looking for a summer job. And it said, perhaps this is only an ad that's placed in Minnesota. And it said, looking for a hockey player to watch our two boys, seven and nine years old, like $10 an hour. I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. I played hockey at a a university and answered the ad and turned out that I ended up becoming what all sort of rough and tumble hockey players aspire to be is I became their nanny. I became a nanny for these two boys, which was wonderful. I became their big brother, their referee, their coach, their chauffeur. But what that ad ended up doing was, unbeknownst to me, started me on my entrepreneurial journey. And so I went from being a hockey player to a hockey playing nanny to running what ended up 
being one of the largest employers of nannies and babysitters in the country. Okay, so this is a very unique story. This is so cool. So you go from hockey player to nanny to business person. I understand the first transition. How did the second one happen? Well, I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, you have an experience, whether Mm -hmm. that experience be good, bad, or otherwise, there's an experience. And you maybe it's someone who said, well, geez, that why is this so frustrating? Why this is too expensive? I could do this better. Whatever it happens to be. In my instance, I had this experience, you know, being these this these role model for these two boys, and I showed up the first day and you know, wasn't sure, wasn't kind of ready to call myself a nanny. But in any event, the oldest boy who was nine at the time, I said, you know, I'm Joe. I play hockey at the University of St. Thomas, and I'm going to hang out with you this summer. And he's like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to play hockey at Harvard. And I said, oh, okay, I've heard of that. Guess we better get to work. So I got to know this family and they were being very, very deliberate about finding what they called these role models to watch their children, to be involved in their life, to be part of the village, as it's often said. So in that experience, other parents started coming to me. I was unique in that I was male in a female dominated job at the time. And said, can you find me an athlete to watch my kids or my boys? So that was the experience where I saw the demand. And then on the supply side, I lived and went to and played hockey with and I went to school with all of these other, the supply side or these role models. And I just simply started a headhunting business while I was in college to make a little bit of money. Now, I think it's important to note, it really frustrated me that when I was in school, you know, you would have a successful entrepreneur come in and they would sort of say, well, you know, they'd make it seem like they had it all painted in their mind. And that was definitely not the case with me. And I would argue is not the case with most, maybe few. So I used this opportunity to make a little bit of beer money, if you will, and then kept playing with it, kept placing students as these role models. And one thing leads to another. I all of a sudden found myself an entrepreneurship major, winning some business plan competitions with this little business, just did wouldn't go away. That is amazing. It's a really, really cool story. And I love the progression. And I love what you shared about seeing other entrepreneurs kind of talk about their stories or tell their stories. You know, there's some of us who just like, yeah, entrepreneurship is in my blood, right? I was selling lemonade when I was three years old and all this kind of stuff. But for a lot of us, we're entrepreneurs by accident, right? Like it kind of found you. And it seems like that's what happened in this instance. Where did you go from there? Yeah, I think this notion of entrepreneurs, are they built or are they born? And my answer to that question would be yes. There are attributes and things that one's born with, but you can learn the crafts. It really took this project as a undergrad and used it in my classes and used it to sort of accentuate my learning and my degree. And the great thing about having a small business, a little side hustle, whatever it is, while an undergrad is that the bar is really low. Anything you do beyond like wake up, put on sweatpants, eat cold pizza and show up for classes viewed as extraordinary. (laughs) And I was so fortunate that I had something to sort of highlight and it differentiated me. But what was sort of interesting is I was in severe danger of getting a job when I was a senior. Okay. And thinking, what does that mean? Isn't that the whole point? You know, you yeah. do well in high school, you get good test grades so you can get into college and you do well in college so you can get an internship and you get an internship 
so that you can not move back in your parents' basement, I suppose. I don't know. but Yeah, that's the way of things. <laughs> I was on this path. Of, I was using this as my sort of differentiator on my resume. And I still recall like interviewing with a Fortune 500 company, even after I had won a number of awards and things for my business I ran in college. And he had a, an article, I'll never forget it, stapled to my resume that was written in the Minneapolis-St. Paul you know, Star Tribune. My confidence went way up when I went in the interview. And I, he said, why would you want to stop running your own business to work for a multinational, multi-billion dollar company where I can guarantee you're not going to have any autonomy for the first five years? And, wow. I'm shook just hearing that. <laughs> and I'm like, this guy's a recruiter. So it was actually General Mills. So I said, well, I love Cheerios. And I think that, you know, being an analyst, I would just be a great analyst. And he knew, and more importantly, I knew that I had been chosen to do this sort of, and, and I needed to continue on with it. So I took the leap, so to speak, of, of post-college doing this full-time. And from that point on, I went, ended up going on a 10-year journey. I like to call it the 10-year overnight success. Yeah. where operationalized this idea of a nanny or babysitting placement agency. And this, well, I just don't want to do that. I wanted to build a national brand, build some technology that allows, you know, parents to book a babysitter from their smartphone, developed some certification process, and then started franchising that concept. And ultimately became the largest employer of nannies in the U.S. We had locations in the U.K. as well, about 10,000 people. And the company was called College Nannies, Sitters and Tutors and sold that to a public company, Bright Horizons, out of Boston. And both boys went to Harvard. So it ended pretty well. <laughs> yeah, it ended pretty well, but it wasn't the end of your story. What happened after all that success? It's interesting. I was faced with, I had a three-year earnout with Bright Horizons and integrating, and that was fun and important. I was in severe danger of getting a job again. I was offered to uh, work in the UK and take my family over and take our technology and go on this more longer-term executive corporate path at a public company. And in addition to being very fortunate in that I said no to moving my family to Europe just before the pandemic which was, you know, would have been a real unhappy campers if I would have done that. But ultimately, I just decided that, you know, without a plan, I needed to go out and sort of reinvent myself at sort of halftime. And that is a tough thing to do, even though, you know, it was under very good circumstances. It's still hard. So I took a sabbatical. I took about a little over a year off. And in that year, in addition to uh, some just recharging time, tried to figure out like, what did I like best about the first business? What do I want to do when I grow up, as they say? That was an important time to just try to take stock. And I do see it as a blessing that I had that time, but it was also really hard work, believe it or not. I believe it. I believe it. I think that's really a pivotal moment for someone who has built something from the ground up and experienced a certain level of success where you have this moment like, okay, what the hell do I do now? Like, who am I without this company? So you went from launching this amazing nanny business and building it and selling it. And then you went into fintech. How did that work? Did you have some 
big idea that you needed to solve the problem? Or did you match up with a co-founder with a big idea? What was the next part of your journey? Yeah, it was it was definitely the latter. I mean, I was uniquely unqualified to run a fintech company. So my own work, what I ended up doing is building a matrix around and a scoring system around what would be a right answer. It's not the right answer of what I would do next, but what is the next right answer? Because I think the right answer would suggest that there's only one thing out there that I should go do. And I don't believe that and frankly couldn't manage that much pressure. <laughs> so what I did is I built a, you know, sort of a series of personal, professional, financial, you know, matrix about what gives me energy, what do I want to do next? And when brought this idea, this notion of this company called Justify, which stemmed out of my co-founder's experience in paying too much in processing fees and building a vertical SaaS platform, a software platform that, that their economic engine was payments and embedded finance, I found it just fascinating. Again, I had to get very smart or less dumb about it, but it sort of really checked so many of the boxes that I had built in such as getting very, very deep involved in technology, being in a very, you know, massively rapidly growing industry, working with really great people. So, and when I looked and fully understood the opportunity, what they really needed wasn't the most technical savvy person to be in the room. They didn't need the most depth of fintech knowledge or vertical platform knowledge. They needed a leader who could build teams, raise money, lead, manage, hold accountable and inspire. And that person wasn't available. So they asked me, I mean, <laughs> those are all things that I really am passionate about and that I'm reasonably good at. Hey, it's Shauna here. I want to take a quick break from this amazing episode to send a free resource your way. Starting up is hard. Whether you're bootstrapping or you've got some funding behind you, you don't always know exactly where to start. I want to fix that. You head to startuprenegades.com right now. You can claim your free business benchmark blueprint. That's a mouthful. It's going to help you set a plan in place so you can create your foundation for growth. And it's free, so why not? Head to startuprenegades.com right now and grab yours. Yeah, I love that. And I feel that in my soul. There's so many different roles. And actually, I really enjoy interviewing co-founders who are not the people who came up with the big idea. Because so many times we hear these stories about you know, the journey of how you came up with the idea and what you did from there. But there's a lot of co-founders that are really making these things happen. Let me backtrack a little bit because everything that you shared was so powerful. But one thing that I didn't really get a grasp on is how this opportunity came to you. Did you know your co-founder previously? Were you introduced to them and they when they were looking for a co-founder and you did the whole co-founder dating thing? What was that like? So it's a little bit of the latter where a good friend of mine was in a similar position, just a little bit farther out ahead of me where he had sold his company, took some time off, and then was going through this process of okay, what's next? Who am I? What do I want to be when I grow up? All of these important questions. And I helped him evaluate a startup that was incubated inside of a venture firm. 
And the venture firms, Rally Ventures out of the Twin Cities of Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota, and the managing partner there, his name is Justin Koffenberg, and he started a platform called Sports Engine. So he had the direct experience of building a software platform and harnessing the power of fintech and now wanted to start other companies to take what he had learned and then grew and sold to a public company and activated it in different ways. So I was introduced to him in that way. It was more of a incubator program of sorts where it was in created inside of a venture firm, you know, some call it a studio, um, a startup program, things of that nature. So they were looking for you know, actively looking to connect people around an idea. So he connected me to my operational co-founder, who is our chief payments officer, Casey Kipfer, he who had all of these knowledge, but hadn't the direct experience of growing and starting and fundraising around a company. So putting us together and we happened to hit it off and sort of uh, we were off and running at that point. That makes a lot of sense. What stage was the company at when you joined? Was it still idea stage or did they have some early traction that you just built off of? What was it like? I would say it was pre-idea stage in that it, there was a concept and we got together on the whiteboard and said, okay, we this was our experience and we know we want to start a company in and around that. So it was the earliest of days where we got together and started ideating and pivoting very early on because there's a number of different directions. When you think about, you know, one thing that I love and checked the box for my criteria, when I look at fintech and payments, it's so massive and there's so many different ways. I mean, just the term fintech, meaning financial technology, means so many different things to so many people. So that's what we had a lot of options and really narrowing in on how do we leverage our collective experience to build something that is truly unique where we're going to have an advantage when we're in the room. So when we're talking to, we built this specifically for vertical platforms like Sports Engine, that was where my operational co-founder and our my other co-founder came from. By building something that is very, very niche and to our own experience, you're immediately going to have more credibility when you're in the room to someone who doesn't have that experience. Yeah, 100%. I love that you shared that and explained it like that. And I think it's the perfect segue into growth in marketing, right? That's my happy place. So how did you go from pre-idea to getting your first 10 customers? We started a customer council or a product advisory council in the very, very early days. And what that is, is a forcing function to sort of test your ideas in a quasi, you know, more safe place than the open market. And these are oftentimes friends or colleagues or folks, you know, in a community that, you know, are willing to weigh in on things. And what that often does is a couple of things by design. Number one, it gives you that quick feedback and that's fantastic. And then number two, it can oftentimes turn into some early customers. So we did get some early customers in that way. And given the fact that we are 40, not 20, at least the co-founders in this business, we had a breadth and depth of contacts in the industries that where we came from that also just led to knowing where to call and what doors to knock on that would open because of our past relationships and got us some early meetings that 
were frankly just unfair. I mean, if you didn't have that network, you wouldn't get those meetings. So that led to some early meetings and some early wins and some early customers. Yeah, I mean, it's all about the unfair advantage in the startup space. So I think it's really cool that you have that. And it also speaks to the importance of your network. Your network's going to look much different if you're a 40-year-old founder than if you're a 20-year-old founder. But at any stage, you know, founders need to be cultivating their networks. So that really speaks to how you got your first customers. What about scaling up? What strategies were you using to really scale this thing? Yeah, I would say just, you know, doing things that don't scale actually is a strategy to scale. What do I mean by that? I mean, I think that in any industry and payments and fintech is no difference. You have some companies that decide to perhaps overtech things or overbuild things in that the great news is, you know, you can sign up with our solution with an API and you don't have to talk to anyone. That was sort of a famous and winning strategy selling direct to developers that like Stripe payments used. And for those that want to spin up a quick merchant account, that's a great strategy. But if you are going to a platform and their economic engine depends on this strategy, spending a lot of human time and, you know, consulting with them and helping them and being an extension of their team, you know, you can only really do that with humans well. So one of the ways that we look to scale is by doing things that don't scale. It's yes, you have to have great technology, but you also have to have a great team that backs that technology and helps folks understand how do they interact with it and how do they use it. And if you do that often and early, then, you know, those clients tend to stand up on their own two feet and need less of you in the future. I'm so glad that you shared that because I think when we talk about venture capital and early stage startups, we're talking about startups that scale and scale quickly. Not a lot of people are talking about those early days when you have to be doing the things that don't scale in order to get to the next level. That's actually a strategy. You know, you can't go with ads or, you know, other things right out of the gate, you have to be doing these kind of like micro actions to really be building strong relationships with your first customers. So I think that's awesome. Other than doing those things that didn't scale, have you found any particular growth strategies that work really well for Justify or FinTech in general? I think these are the growth strategies can apply to companies and industries beyond fintech or payments. And I think it's just really understanding the persona, the company type, and doing the work to understand what their pains are and bringing specific solutions for them. And I think what that does is become a little polarizing. And oftentimes in the early days, companies, entrepreneurs, they just shudder at the idea of saying no to someone. Meaning they, if the answer is yes, doesn't really matter what the question is in terms of if there's revenue attached to it, they'll do it. I can understand that, especially if one's undercapitalized and it's the lifeblood of getting any and everything in the door. But the sooner you can identify who you're for and in some regards also identify who you're not for and be really tight on that, the ironic thing about that is that that can lead more oftentimes than not to more rapid growth because 
you are for a very specific set of people and you're not for everyone else. And that becomes more attractive to those folks that you are for. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So tell me what is going on with the company today. So we've been at it for going on a couple of years and our core payment infrastructure is built, our orchestration layer is built, our subaccount architecture is built. So we're, we have a number of platforms that are live and in production that are processing hundreds of millions of dollars per year. So we're very excited to you know start moving more out, out of the startup phase and into the growth phase. And we help vertical platforms, so software platforms, every vertical, so sports, youth sports, barber shops, you name a small business, there is a software platform out there that is designed specifically to help them run their business. You yeah. know? And what we believe is that every one of those platforms could harness the power of embedded payments and fintech. So let's just make it simple. Every one of those companies could become a fintech company of sorts. Right. And our purpose is to accelerate their potential at that. We provide the infrastructure as well as the strategy and the team to help them win the same way that my co-founders won when they grew a vertical platform that where 85% of their $150 million of ARR came from embedded payments and fintech. So that's pretty, I mean, they, what they sold out in the world was not how they made money. So we are really in a phase where we're having lots of really exciting conversations, either educating if someone's really early on their journey or, talking about how they can go faster or farther if they're a little more mature on their fintech journey. That's amazing. And those are the conversations you want to be having. Joe, can you tell me what being a startup renegade means to you? Well, to me, it's reinventing and getting re-energized, whether it's in from venture to venture or day by day. I love it. Beautifully said. Where can everybody find you online? We are at justify.ai, and that's J-U-S-T-I-F-I dot A-I. Is the website the best place for people to find you or reach out? Do you chat with people on social media platforms? Yeah, our website's great. You can also find me, Joe Keeley, on LinkedIn. All right, we'll do that. Hey, Joe, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. That was this week's episode of Startup Renegades. Thank you so much for joining me and soaking up all that brilliant entrepreneurial knowledge from today's guest. If you want to suggest a founder for a future episode or just want to connect, you can find me on Instagram at shauna.armitage. That's S-H-A-U-N-A dot A-R-M-I-T-A-G-E. And just a little reminder, if you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. It makes a huge difference and it's so important for helping the show thrive. I'll be here same time next Tuesday for a raw, honest conversation with another startup renegade.